Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Something's lurking at the edge of the park People be warned, people beware There's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair Hear him cry, hear him howl Looking for someone to disembowel Claws like a hook, eyes like coal Feet so big they're gonna crush your soul They call him Sasquatch This is Yowie Central, a very big, warm, fuzzy welcome to all of you. You're listening to 94.9 Main FM and you're with Sarah Bignall. This is the community radio show where we bring you the latest on Yowie Research in Australia and we delve into the fascinating realm of Bigfoot, Sasquatch and cryptozoology from here and around the world. We go into all sorts of mysterious, weird stuff on Yowie Central, paranormal encounters, UFO sightings, you name it. This is a community radio show, which means you are all part of this Yowie Central and Main FM community. You're all welcome to contact me if you've had a Yowie encounter or you've had freaky experiences in the bush with orbs, min-min lights, UFOs, or anything else kooky and spooky. Get in touch with me via yowiecentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group if you have a story to share. I have a very special guest this week. Glenn Williams is a fellow presenter on Main FM. He produces and presents a fantastic show called Dark Moments, which is a show about mystery, fantasy, science fiction and horror stories, radio plays, things like that. He delves into the dark stories, the classics, 
and features a different audio production each week and dark, dark music. Glenn has been a source of such support and encouragement to me. He has to be one of the wisest, kindest-hearted, most generous people I know. We caught up last week for a fascinating chat about Yowies and the impact of media, movies and novels on our perception of our hairy friends. We also talked about Yowie research and the craft of tracking something in the bush. Listeners, here's Glenn Williams. I'd love to talk about the basics of hunting and tracking. I guess I just wanted to give the listeners a little bit of background on um, how you, oh, okay. you perhaps started with that. Uh, I don't know whether you've done, oh. apart from the survive, that survival course with, with Spirit the Snow Yeti in your snow cave, um, <laughs> <laughs> who I absolutely adore and he's sitting on my desk oh, looking at me that. right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so did you start... With those sorts of skills, did you have those skills before you went into the army, or was it something you learnt there, um, or something you learnt since? Our dad was uh, a police officer, um, and our mum was from farming stock. So we really learned about the outdoors really young. Uh, when we, like, I grew up in Melbourne, in the suburbs of Melbourne. But when I was a kid, the suburbs in Melbourne weren't the suburbs of Melbourne. They were really sprawling and uh, our house was stuck in the middle of this, what was once a, a farm, a paddock of a farm, and slowly the, the suburb grew around us. So mum and dad were really keen on taking us to the farms. We still used to go up to the, the family farm in Tatura uh, to see Grant and Pop and we just did all the things that you would do on a farm. Um, and we all learned how to shoot by the time we were eight years old. Uh, we knew how to be able to strip the weapon and clean it and do things. And then when we moved from Melbourne up here, uh, we were back on a farm again. And you were doing all those things at a teenage age, which was, for me, who, when I was 15, I got myself into a fair bit of strife and leaving Melbourne was, was kind of a blessing. So I used to use a lot of my time just to go walking and I often didn't go walking with a rifle or a shotgun. I'd just go walking up into the bush and just look around because I was a bit of a lost soul at that stage. Um, and... We just hunted as in simple hunting. It's not <laughs> just going after rabbits and because they were a problem, you went after foxes because they were a problem. I was asked to go uh, hunting kangaroos once and the girl that I knew whose parents took us up the back and said how bad the kangaroos were and the damage that they were doing to their farm and that. And I sort of said, well, look, I don't really want to shoot a kangaroo. Uh, that put me right down in just uh, at the time girlfriend's father's <laughs> level of, of respect, I suppose. He didn't think much of me about that. 
And so he said, oh, well, you can hold the torch then. You know, the spotlight. I said, oh, good oh. So I just kept pointing it everywhere that I saw a kangaroo because I knew how to spot kangaroos easily because Dad had taught us about how you look for creatures in the night and things. And I just kept shining it away. <laughs> <laughs> in the end, I actually just got out of the car and walked home um, because I just didn't want to go shooting animals that I thought, We've encroached on them. They haven't encroached on us. We encroached on them first sort of thing. And uh, I thought maybe a little bit more sensible farming would have made a difference. But anyway, I do understand that there are times when animals become an issue. I think the thing about hunting is is that it's a really bad expression um, because most of the time I was never really hunting. I was just walking and you were looking at things. And if I had a, uh, understood photography better in those days, maybe I would have gone more down the route of using a camera. But I just used to walk around and, and look and, and try and understand what I was seeing. By the time I got into the military, I had a fairly good understanding of the bush and how things worked out in the bush. And then they teach you these magic secrets, which aren't very magic. They're just very, very basic about what you're looking for. And then after that, it's, it's very much about experience and, and taking the time to learn about how you move quietly, what to look for while you're moving quietly, and what's normal and what's not normal. Uh, and I, I think those sort of things become really interesting. And when I saw your little piece about when you were out on uh, your wander about looking for tracks and things, that is actually the best way to learn how to just go out and study the ground. Um, just go out and pick something and try and follow it. And I would do that all day a lot of the time you you know got lost as in not lost where you were you got lost with what you were following because you don't understand how animals think and I don't think we can ever do that I think no matter how much research we get the element of following something creates the hunt which is the part I don't like and then that creates the fear and not necessarily the fear in you, but the fear in whatever you're following. Yeah. And you can yeah. tell that straight away if you follow kangaroos. Um, if kangaroos aren't frightened of you, they just hop around and move off gently. But if they're really frightened of you, the lead kangaroo will single itself out and actually sacrifice itself by making itself a target and take you off somewhere else while the rest of them scamper it will actually make its way sort of in a loop back to where they are. And so they're just little things that you learn. And as far as one of the things I was desperately going to say to you online, I thought, oh, if I put that up, this is going to be, you know, make you sort of the, 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 the talk go forever, I suppose. But there's simple things out there um, before you start learning about tracks and traces and things is, is how things look 
and we used to have, you know, if you think about the basic things, is the shape, the natural shape of what things are, shine, silhouette, facing, shadow, and their natural movement. And there's all things about noise and stuff like that. But all those few little simple things give you a big hint of how something should look. And most people, when they go looking for something out in the bush, just go walking and just blunder along and they don't really stop and study what they're looking at. So you won't see what you want to find. Um, you've really got to stop and take time and let nature be nature rather than you interfering with it. And not take three three noisy dogs with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the other the video I posted the other day was was fairly it was fairly lighthearted but um it's lovely. What was that? It was lovely. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I'm I'm I'll put my hand up and and unashamedly say that I am a rank amateur when it comes to field research, and certainly I'm unlikely to find much when I have the three dogs with me. I, I guess for, I, I take them for protection, um, and protection not from yowies, but pr- protection from weirdos and axe murderers that might be wandering around the forest. Look, it's. It's a really interesting thing. Um, in Australia, we have more creatures out there that can harm us than literally any other country in the world put together. You know, most of our things out there have either got a venom or a sting or a big claw or whatever, but they keep to themselves, whereas people, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. I, I think that... Um, the biggest thing we've got to worry about out there is people. But I just do think that if you're out in the bush, the main thing that you've got to be concerned about is, is your own behaviour and also, you know, other people. Absolutely. Uh, I feel very strongly <clears throat> about – somebody posted a comment on one of those videos that I that I posted about uh, – it was on that one or, or something else that I posted, but talking about – how it's not it's not that great that there's this relentless pursuit and hunting in inverted commas of yowies and, and I actually I totally agree with that. The last thing that I or any of my my Australian Yowie research buddies up in Queensland, the idea is 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 the antithesis of hunting and, and relentless pursuit. There aren't that many, there aren't actually that many people out there looking for yowies. And the last thing that I would ever want anyone to do is shoot one or kill one or harm one oh, um, yeah. or even make them feel frightened and like they're feeling, they're, like they're being pursued and that they're in danger. I, I would absolutely hate that. I think that's a really good attitude to have. Um, look, I'm, I'm not really going to say whether one way I'm one way or the other, because I don't think I'm an expert on any of these sort of things. I've certainly never, ever gone actually looking for a Yowie. Um, I'm fascinated by what they're finding, absolutely fascinated. So in a lot of ways, I'm a real armchair looker You know, <laughs> I, I just take notice. And I think because you're involved with it and through Main FM, I just think it's a fascinating thing to have. And because it's also going 
you're broadening you know, the areas you're looking at, but sticking to things like yaoi's or creatures that for the better part are either myth or legend or whatever, depending on, um, and even if you talk from an, in an Indigenous point of view, don't talk about them as their myth or legend. They talk about them as they're very, very real. And I think people, like a lot of the people you deal with, it becomes a little bit of a religion. So it's great that they do respect it because religion can get twisted very, very easily. And I really do think that I was looking at different ways that, and it's part of what I'd be keen to talk about today, is how media and, and how also stepping in and encroaching on, you know, a creature's habitat or a person's habitat or an individual's habitat can really backfire. And once you get to a certain stage, I just wonder where it is that you actually go, time to pull back and just respect they're there or if people can believe or not believe, that's their business. But I, I've read Diane Fossey's book about gorillas in the mist and that is an incredible example about what happens when research can start almost backfiring. And she realised that, that because she was literally showing people where they were, the, the poachers knew exactly where to go. And so she actually came out of the mountains and then went down to the people and sort of said, here's what you've got, something very, very special. You know, respect it, look after it, and just let it be. Sadly, Diane Fossey you know, uh, was murdered, probably by poachers, and to a degree, uh, at certain stages, blamed herself for, you know, spending so much time with them because she spent for 10 years with them and there wasn't a lot of... Uh, problems working with gorillas you know she did incredible work she got us to understand them but she also brought them to the attention of people that didn't respect them and that's where I sort of get a bit worried about uh, constant research you either go this is as far as we go the rest of it's just got to be respected that maybe it's something we don't need to understand anymore let it be a myth. Let it be something so unique that we don't need to understand it. Because everything else that we've really researched to the point of absurdity has become harmed, has been harmed. Yeah. And you've only got to look at so many animals that have become extinct. The thylacine is a really good example. The uh, Tasmanian tiger, that unfortunately did none of the things that they said it did. They said it, it you know, killed livestock off or killed lambs and things, and generally it didn't. It was a very shy animal that wasn't actually interested in the livestock that colonials had brought. It was only interested in its own normal food, and it used to stay away from people, but they decided, no, we'll blame it for all the things that have been done, and we wiped it out. Just tragic. I'll leave a little 
message for the end of that, I suppose, because there is a brilliant book that's been written in relation to this thylacine. And the book's called The Hunter, and it was turned into a film fairly recently uh, starring Willem Dafoe, Francis O'Connor and Sam Neill. Um, It was filmed in Tasmania. Absolutely superb book, the novel, is quite extraordinary, written in a very unusual manner. Um, but her, you know, their message is some mystery should never be solved. And I think that's a little bit like where we are. You know, after seeing those, that incredible footage, which really is quite extraordinary, uh, the, the thermal footage. But the, the uh, oh, sorry, I can't remember the exact names of oh, the, the team that. The, uh, yeah, Gary, Gary Buck, Dean, and uh, Shannon, who's a new member of the team with, of the Australian mm-hmm. Yowie Research Team. Yeah. Yeah, extraordinary footage that has probably made a lot of people go, ah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> there have been. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and the idea behind that research is to. Uh, it wasn't just to film one. It's I mean, Gary and Buck particularly are really into the idea of communicating with these beings. So, so for them, this was like the beginning of a journey um, that that they're so excited to possibly familiarise the, the, the Yowies in in this particular troop to them and to only them so that then maybe there would be some kind of interaction and communication. But I, I know, sadly, some this person worked out more or less where it, where it was because they'd use aliases. They never put the real, they never put the real sure. location on, yeah. on the videos. Uh, but he's, he's sort of worked it out and, uh, and is just ruining it now. You know, he's, he's messing up the evidence yeah, and it's it's sad because that they don't reckon that there's been any more unusual activity since he's started hanging out there right. as well. So, uh, but I, d- I actually think it's a very good point, Glenn. Is is when 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 do you stop? When when is the ongoing research going to mm. cause more harm than good? It's a it's an excellent point. I I get you know people's. Well, for want of a better word, obsession. Um, I know there's times I've been obsessed with things and in, in my case it only harmed me and harmed other people. <laughs> so I just think once you get to the stage where you cannot let go, um, you start wondering where you're going to go with that. And that's my concern is that if other people start to infringe on their research using, well, literally they're targeting them and that means that they're targeting whatever you're trying to study. And people do things with really good intentions and then it's what's attached to it that becomes the problem. But I, I must admit, when I hear the guys out there, um, you know, cooking up sausages and making all sorts of noise out in the bush and that, you'd certainly work out that, yeah, you're certainly not here to harm us. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it is a very, very unusual approach. 
uh, when it comes to observing something that's in the natural. They want. They actually wanted to bring bring them in, and that was the whole idea behind mm. the the sausages and the onions was to to bring them in for Very a look. Interesting. But because they've got these thermal cameras, that by the looks of it, these yeah. yowies can't necessarily detect the new thermal cameras. They can, we believe, detect infrared, which is why the trail uh-huh. the tra- trail cameras never work. You've Never get a good picture of a yowie on a trail camera. Same with Bigfoot in the states too. Trail cameras don't mm-hmm. work. But, but and and the the theory people uh, the theory behind that is that they can they can sense they can see the infrared. So this this method was bring them in as close as possible, and but also have someone stationed nearby, but not right at camp mm-hmm. with, the, with the camera going, which is and that that's exactly what happened. And they they caught they captured the most mind-blowing footage I've ever seen. Like it was yeah. quite spectacular. Quite remarkable. Mm. And, and and I think it just does demonstrate that you don't have to go aggressive in, in any way to uh, approach the natural world. And, and I keep saying that. I, I just think I'm always concerned that the more we spend um, encroaching on the natural world, the less we're going to have. And we haven't got many mysteries left. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of mysteries and lots of things that we don't understand, but we, we just, I, I love the fact that there are mysteries, regardless of whether they're in people's minds, hearts and soul, or whether they're really there. I just think that's a great thing from a, a little boy. I was fascinated by the fact that every single stage of development throughout history um, and every race has always told stories about critters and creatures that primarily in a lot of cases were to keep you home. So mum and dad or whoever the parents were knew where you were. But often there is uh, either a touch or a lot of reality to what they're saying. I just love the fact that these stories still exist. And if they're really there, then that's even better. It's a little bit like coming out of Jurassic Park and saying, I really saw a dinosaur, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you just love the fact that you could make something so real in your mind. You're listening to Glenn Williams on Yowie Central on 94.9 Main FM. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Legend and mythology is fascinating. Really, really is. It's fascinating. And I do think that people can make up a lot of things in their mind. I know there's been times when I've been out in the, in the bush or other places where fear has developed the most wildest stories in your mind. And I'm always kind of amused by when I hear people say, oh, why would I lie? And you go, well, maybe you're not lying, but maybe you're you've not been all that rational because fear does make us incredibly irrational. And that's why I do like the guys that you work with, their approach is they're actually taking the fear out of it. Um, I'm not saying they're not scared because I would be, if I thought I was going hunting, you know, or hunting or researching something that's that big and might have a bit of a temper on it. But I do like the, that general attitude that, this isn't something where we're going aggressively at something. Um. And you, you mentioned in a, in a message to me, uh, and this is something I actually have been thinking about recently in my own journey with regards to ghosts and paranormal things, mm-hmm. um, and that was how how these how these mysteries are presented to us in the media and movies and novels. Um, mm-hmm. So as a as a child, well as a teenager, I completely lost the plot and was terrified by Nightmare on Elm Street, um The Entity, The Exorcist. Like those those movies were so frightening to me. I was I would even 20 years later I would still and not not so much now, but in the past, I would still feel afraid suddenly if I was by myself and if I started thinking about ghosts, whether one would come and attack me or um, this absolute panic fear. And it's yep. it's quite a shame, I'm feeling for me personally, that it's a shame that I blocked off all of that possibility for a long time out of abject fear that was really just Hollywood movies, not reality. Yeah, yeah look, like I said, We've always told stories to control people. Um, and I don't want to mention a very special book that was written a long, long time ago <laughs> that was done for that simple purpose. I'll mention it, the control. Bible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, it is. It, it, it's a control mechanism. And there are elements of it that are actually a, a great you know, way to live life. But if I thought that uh, a meteorite shower was somebody purposely raining down fire on me just so that I did the wrong thing. That's called control. And that's what happens with storytelling and with movies. These days, it's just simply to make money. Um, Young, up-and-coming movie makers will generally always make a horror-related film, regardless of which one of the subgenres you want to talk about, because they're inexpensive and people watch them. Um, and 
then they'll, if they can make enough money, they'll go and make their next film that they really want to make a film about. But, yeah, there's so many stories that have been manipulated to the point to make us go boo and be frightened of what's out there. Whereas the only thing that we've really got to be frightened out there is, one, our own ignorance, and two, somebody else that is nastier than us. Um, yeah, look, I've got a pile of those films in my house and I've watched them ever since I was a kid. And I love them, but I don't think they're real. <laughs> and I think that's the, that's the difference that we find with media is that some stories are purely for lesson. And even recently, Australia's made some quite remarkable horror movies that are great storytelling and really good lessons for us. On the other hand, we've made some absolute garbage um, in, in, even in relation to the, the Bigfoot, uh, sorry, the Yowie and Bunyip stories, there's been a couple of films that have come out more recently on those subjects that I just scratch my head and think, really? You know, haven't we done this enough? I just looked up just before you rang, how many films would come up if I just went Bigfoot and I got 100 Without wow. even trying. Wow. I had no idea that there, that there were that many. Yep. Well, I one of the, the first films that I can remember seeing as a kid on the, the late night TV show, we used to watch a show called Deadly Earnest, and that was the late night horror show on, on a Saturday night. And he would bring these odd films from around the world, and it was called The Abominable Snowman. And that's actually a really positive Yeti story because it treats the Yetis as eventually after everybody gets killed by a landslide or thrown over the cliff by the Yeti because they shot at them or whatever, um, it treats them with respect and shows that they're an intelligent creature. The only problem was 20 years later when we stopped and started making these sort of films en masse with uh, things like the, the Legend of Boggy Creek which was a, an absolute driving sensation in the 70s, and that was about a, a Bigfoot. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a Renee, it's a very well-known one. In fact, I think my yeah, mum might have seen that one as a child, and she <laughs> she doesn't want to talk about Yowies at all because um, she, I I, she says she saw something so terrifying when she was a child that she doesn't want to hear about it now because she'll never go in the bush again if she does. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's filmed in a semi-doco form and it naturally has, um, you know, campers being terrified and running all over the place. And uh, it what they forgot was, though, that in 1957 they approached these creatures as intelligent. By the time the 70s got here, we thought, no, that's it. They're all just mindless killing machines. And unless we're making a comedy, we'll, you know, we'll just make them nasty and that so people come to watch them and be scared because people actually like being scared. Horror is was designed for a reason. Um, Mary Shelley oh, hit us with Frankenstein and she, well, actually she wrote it for a lot of different reasons and 
they're fascinating, and I'm sorry I could talk to you for that for hours too, if you like, but <laughs> she created something so unique when it comes to horror. But the thing was, she was trying to get us to understand something about people and about, you know, you can't do what they were trying to do, <laughs> which was make a person. So it was really, really interesting. But she gave us horror and science fiction in one foul swoop. And then from then on, we all just manipulated and twisted it however we wanted to. And, you know, sitting in front of me, if, if you think about stories that are really manipulated by media, The Conjuring is a very recent, uh, and that's got an Australian connection because you've got an Australian actor in it, Lee Waddell, and you've got an Australian director, David Wan. So they made a story about, you know, the, the Warrens who investigate supernatural things, ghosts and bits and pieces. And those films are now, I think they're up to their fourth one, at least on that. Big Legend is the latest one on uh, the Yeti. Now they've gone right back to the beginning and said, okay, it's got to kill a woman. <laughs> and that, that gives the boyfriend or the husband the reason to go out and hunt it. <laughs> and you think, oh my gosh, you know, so. That just um, reminded me of King also, Kong <laughs> as well. You can put well, that on the list as well. Yeah. Yeah. Look, King Kong's really interesting. I've actually, um, Stephen and I had a really good talk about King Kong once. And I've, Steve's taken, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but yeah, he was quite interested in how that was how we approached people of colour. Yeah. And I just went, wow, that's right out of left field. But the more I thought about it, golly gosh, so, gee whiz, that, that's, that's deep. Yeah. Yet at the same time, it's how we approach things that we don't understand. Well, didn't Eddie and, refer to one of the uh, Indigenous football players as, as King Kong? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was Eddie, yeah. Be- was it not Eddie Betts, um, Adam Goods. Adam Goods. Yeah. yeah, it's and it's been yeah, it's a really, it's, it's a very very sad indictment on people, unfortunately. And but look, we, we do manipulate um, storytelling. There's a horror movie called Kadaicha, and that was an Australian horror movie done back in the seventies, if I remember rightly, um, on the the Aboriginal. You know, the thing about Kodaicha that's really interesting is that you've got a monster that hunts monsters because Kodaicha's purpose is to track down the murderer. How do you spell that? Kodaicha is K-A-D-A-I-C-H-A. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. Or yeah. It's really interesting and even Darkness Falls is a film about the tooth fairy. <laughs> really? Yeah. Now, instead of Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you know, <laughs> being this massive tooth fairy, it's over here when we make a horror movie about the tooth fairy, we turn it into this horrific witch who takes the children's teeth and entices them in, and then forever after that, anybody that uh, you know steps out of the light in the nighttime is in trouble, and you know. We we really do know how to twist things, and and that's not just Australians. That's everybody. Jack the Ripper is a really good example. 
I had a great chat with a fellow up on, on Dark Moments about Jack the Ripper. And he said as fascinating as Jack the Ripper and as horrible as Jack the Ripper was, there were much, much more things going on and much more murderous things going on at the time in that period of London than Jack the Ripper. But it made it, it was interesting morning reading literally for quite a few months. And scratch your head and you think, okay, you've got someone down the road who's, you know, murdering 200 children. Uh, wouldn't you think that would be worth telling people? No, we'll just turn about Jack the Ripper because, you know, it's a good story. <laughs> um, ghost stories are the same thing. Like you said, when we come back, right back full circle to this, when you mentioned ghost stories at the beginning, I was fascinated by ghost stories when we moved up here and we actually tried to make a ghost story film when I was at school. Um, I wrote the script about it. it was, there's a story called The Gyra Ghost, which is about a poltergeist. And it was a little girl whose house was constantly rocked. And it just fascinated me. And I read all things about this. And anyway, we did make a film which has been lost to time and all sorts of things now. But um, that was one of the things that interested me about ghosts. Are they real? Are they not real? Are they a figment of our imagination? Mm-hmm. And I've had times when I really thought they were real because your mind does amazing things and fear is a really, really tricky thing to, to try and manage, especially when in the middle of the night when you are in a place that you don't know. And a lot of people, that's when they have those experiences. They're in a new place or new surroundings. It's not to say that it's real or not real. For them, I'm sure it's incredibly real. Uh, so, but when you've watched a lot of movies that say this is exactly what's going to happen to you when you go out in the water or go out in the bush or climb a mountain or whatever, Jaws was responsible for killing many, many more sharks than ever, ever needed to be killed. I barely go swimming in the sea now because of that movie. (laughs) I'm a child of the Jaws generation, Uh, absolutely. Way more comfortable swimming in uh, fresh water than than in the sea, way more. (laughs) Yeah, look, um, well, look at how many more people drown than are actually attacked by sharks. Yeah. Um, Look at how many, well, to a degree, look at how many people are hit by lightning a year than are actually killed by sharks. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Really interesting one to look up, that one. But there's no horror um, movies about lightning, is there? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty tricky to make. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Um, you've got to really attach something else to the lightning, don't you? It, 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 they just make good movies. Um, you know, surfers are the first people to say that, you know, I go surfing because I love going surfing and I know that there are sharks out there. Um, I don't want you to kill all the sharks because I want to go surfing. Um, you know, it's, it's generally quite an irrational thought to try and destroy something just so you can have your way um, and, I don't know, your leisure or whatever it might be. And they, I, even up the Northern Territory, there's people that say, 
we should cull the crocodiles so that the tourists can go and see more crocodiles. <laughs> Which is really quite ridiculous and self-defeating. It makes, <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. And kind of sad, like just human beings are so destructive, aren't, aren't, aren't they? I was going to say aren't we, but I really try not to be a destructive human, um, but, but, but a lot of us are. Yeah, I think it's as a general thing, yes, we are. We're incredibly destructive, and I we have a, a photograph in our um, lounge room that a mate of mine, who I've actually never met, that's interesting, a mate of mine who I've never met, uh, I was contacted one day and they said, there's a guy who wants to walk across Furnace 47, which is one of the hottest places on the planet, let alone uh, WA, uh, up in the Pilbara. And my first was why um, I have no idea why anybody would want to walk across there and apparently he wanted to see how the water was going there because of what mining's doing to water and the encroaching uh, feral animals, there's a lot of um, camels there and wild dogs and all sorts of things so he was going to do a nine day wander across this place which at night time is if you're lucky 32 degrees at night so it's hellishingly hot and on average it's 47 degrees during the day. So anyway, we had a good chat with him and he sent me a photo, which was lovely, just to say thank you for, for helping him out and things. And he said, do you know it's not there anymore? And I sort of thought, oh, no, the photo's here. And he said, no, 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 what I took is not there anymore. And it's of two rocks side by side and you sort of look through into the distance at this incredible view. And he said, because of um, mining and the fact that we're taking so much water out of the ground, that these rocks became unstable and now they've fallen over. So that actual geological feature is gone simply because we've taken too much water out of the ground. Mm. And he was not able to actually do that walk solely because the uh, the um, water holes have been degraded so badly that you can't drink the water. So, yeah, that's yeah, just that's terrible. We, tragic. We do awful things uh, as as a a collective group. <laughs> and, uh, we do awful things, and I know there's so many good people out there, including Hugh, who wanted to wander across this and bring it. And he did. He's he brought it to a lot of attention, but we're so you know, obsessed with mining in a certain manner uh, that it's almost too late, unfortunately. I know that that sounds very, very uh, pessimistic, but for those areas it is. Yeah. That, been, uh, well, look at here. Golly, this place, uh, Rick Nelson, I was hearing him speak about this area recently on some That was Uncle, Uncle, Uncle Rick, our, our local yes. Aboriginal elder. Yes. Yep. That's right. He was from the Jajarung and he yep. said that uh, yeah, they took away minimum, a minimum of a metre of topsoil. So you think, can you imagine what used to live here? <sighs> yeah. yeah. As, you know, the, the flora and fauna that would have been here um, would have been just staggering. We, we used to think that we lived, had a bush block and mum and dad said on the farm we would always have half and half 
and we, we, they stuck to that, which I really respect, and that was connected to that. But the bush that we lived on was still third-generation bush. You know, it had been a road, you know, cut down and grew and then cut down and grew again just before the end of the, uh, when the sort of the second lot of uh, gold mining and farming came in. So, yeah, it's all, you know, it's, it's not natural bush. There's very little that, of that left around here. Uh, and very little topsoil. Yeah. Like if you wander around, wander around our our, our town, um, it, out in the the gold were gold fields. There's yeah. it's just hard scrabble rock and clay everywhere because of that very reason. It's it, it's been so depleted. All the topsoil's been removed, um, and whatever grows there know. is pretty hardy. <laughs> oh, well, and that's what it's sort of been. There's what could have been here is, is quite extraordinary. And I'm not saying, you know, people, well, to a certain degree I am saying people should never have come here, I guess, but, you know, we are here now and you've got to do the best you can do. But do you know there's stories out there about interesting critters and things that used to, this area's always had stories about the old Black Panthers down in Macedon and mm-hmm. that, and even to the, the, the side of... Uh, when we first came up here, we heard all sorts of stories about thylacine. Yeah, right. And wow, you know, that's fascinating because the thylacine wasn't only listed as definitely extinct in the recent 200, 2000, so 2004 or six. Um, even though they shot the, the last one died in captivity in 1936. Um, Someone actually contacted yeah. me a while ago who whose father, I believe, or was it a, a friend, a father, I can't remember, it was 12 months or so ago, um, he found years ago a Tasmanian devil near Harcourt. So, oh. yeah, so and I was like, that's, in, that's amazing. Um, that's extraordinary. Maybe they were widespread here before before the, the gold miners came and raped and pillaged the, the landscape. Um, who knows what was here? I think that's the thing we – and I, I try not to be too hard on the past. I know the past has done some awful, awful things, but as you say, we just never know what was once here. And, yeah, I'd love to imagine, you know, what it could have been like. But at the same time, I still don't doubt that uh, different creatures had, you know, Roamed more freely. Um, yeah, well, that that's just a given. I think that that's that's well, I would imagine that's fairly accepted because the land was connected. Um, you know, it's it's a long time ago, but even so, every now and then you see a kangaroo that you just look at and you think, "Wow, you're different. You're very very different. You're so much bigger. You're so much more powerful looking." Um, and you're even square-shouldered and square-jawed, and you look at the old pictures, and I'm not saying they're megafauna at all, but then you think, yeah, those every now and then there's something that you spot in the bush and you just think, that's special, and maybe we should just leave it alone. Yeah. I wonder if if Uncle Rick has any... Yowie knowledge. I did ask him once, it was years and years ago now, and it wasn't really the right time to talk about it, so he kind of brushed me off a yeah. bit. But I wonder, um, I wonder if he has any 
knowledge of the stories of the Jara people with regards to the Yowie in this area? Um, yeah, I, I do. I think a lot of it is very. It's like I say, it's they're very, very precious to them, and they're sort of like theirs, theirs, and it's something that I don't blame anyone for not wanting to share and I don't think they're trying to hide it well maybe they are I don't know but it it I think it's something that you just sort of respect a little bit like as I said before about religion that people do believe what they believe and they know things and they don't want it to be messed with so just either one don't ask or I'll tell you when I'm ready yeah um and I, I, I really do actually appreciate that. I, I could spend a fair bit of time uh, with Indigenous groups in WA and there were so many things that you knew they weren't telling you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for good reason, for really, really good reason, because there's one thing about us, we don't seem to be able to keep our mouths shut um, <laughs> about about things that are interesting and we seem to go back and want to know more or want to change it or and I think sometimes maybe they've learnt a hard lesson, a really, really hard lesson that they I'm really, really sorry that they had to learn. Um, I think yeah, I think they're very, very special to them, those sort of things. I know over in WA, um, they are, to, and, and same here, I've heard exactly the same thing here. They are not their mythologies. They are not their legends. They are their, 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 their oh, truth. They're, they're truly, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I just let that go and I think, great. I love the fact that they've got something so special that is theirs because uh, they haven't got much. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I was looking back at those photos you sent me a while back, one of, uh, the spirit book and, and your snow cave. But I also realised, and I don't think I, I tweaked to this, but there was another photo of the Watson's Crag at Mount Kosciuszko that had mm-hmm. unusual footsteps uh, through the snow up in, like, the most inhospitable <laughs> place. Where, where was that? Did you take that? <laughs> no, that, that's us. That's probably me showing <laughs> you how, how easy it is to, to sort of get a bit, um, I suppose, taken away by things and we were living on the, the cliff face which is you know a 300 meter quite steep well actually I think it's further than 300 meters but there's a damn long way to walk up I tell you that much but um, we cut into there in snow caves and stayed there and one day we were bored mindless you know just because there are times when you just can't do anything in the snow, so you, you've just got to, you know, find yourself some entertainment. And so I walked across really, really carefully because I wanted to take a photograph of a specific, you know, thing. And then when I turned around, I went, that looks just like the book I've been reading, <laughs> you know, the, the footprints in the snow. Um, just so people know, the, the book that I'm uh, talking about, uh, in the Army, we always took a book each and we would share them. 
And on this particular occasion, I didn't even think about what I was grabbing. I just had a stack of books at home, grabbed it, threw it in my bag. And when we opened our backpack up, the two guys I was in the snow cave with, they said, trust you to bring a flame and horror book. And I looked at it and went, okay, we're living in the snow and I've taken The Spirit by Thomas Page, which is, it's the stuff of nightmares and legend. It has many names, Bigfoot, Yeti, Satsquash, but wherever it is out there in the woods, and very dangerous, and we're in the snow, and it's hunting, you know, upsetting people in the snow. So that's why I sort of wandered across and took that and said, yeah, this is the old Yetish left the footprints. But, um, oh, I was getting excited for a minute. <laughs> no, I'm glad no, you dispelled um, that. <laughs> yes, no, no, nothing out there. Like I said, the, the most dangerous thing out there was the cold. And um, about five weeks later when someone skied through some ice and broke his back, so uh, or five days later, um, the most dangerous thing about the snow is the cold. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to mention? This sort of thing I think I can always chat forever on because it is interesting. And like I said, it's not a question of believing or not believing. More a question of that there's so much fascinating, so many sad things out there, but there's so many fascinating things out there that are just fun. Yeah. And that we, we need to keep them fun by not encroaching too much and respecting that maybe we don't need to know. We know as much as we need to know about some things and just let it go. Um, but I do understand people's desire to want to do more and to learn more. I think as long as it's controlled um, and it doesn't get out of hand, I, I think it's it's all good. Um, and it's just really fascinating and I wish them all the very best of luck. And <laughs> I just uh, hope that the things go well. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you. Well. <laughs> thank yeah. you. I will keep you abreast of any new developments. I'll let you know. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think the thing that you should be really, really uh, pleased with and, and probably proud of yourself is, is that from somebody that, you know, sort of to a degree, uh, got so connected with this from an armchair perspective, has brought a lot to people's attention in a really rational manner. And I think that deserves a lot of, lot of acknowledgement, mate. I really do. Um, You've made it so much more rational and and keeping people very grounded about it. I think that deserves a lot of respect for that, Sarah. Oh, Glenn, thank you. I'm blushing now. (laughs) Thank you. That's that's so lovely. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I guess that's the way I the way I approach this whole subject is is as rationally as possible. and to demystify, you know, destigmatize this whole subject. Why don't we talk about it? Let's, do, you know, get yeah. get get the community talking about it. So yes, no. Look up. That's very kind, Glenn. I, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, what a fascinating chat. We could probably go on for hours, but <laughs> but I better wrap it up now because the dogs are looking All at right. me, going, "Where's dinner?" Pleasure. <laughs> yeah, dinner time. <laughs> you take All right, care, no, mate. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you.
That was Main FM's very own Glenn Williams, presenter and producer of Dark Moments, which is on every Saturday night from 10pm to midnight. Check it out if you haven't already. It's a fascinating show. If you've had an encounter with a Yowie or you've seen a ghost or you've had a scary UFO experience or any other weird stuff, get in touch with me via yowiecentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group. I'm not actually in the radio studio when the show goes to wear. I, I pre-record it uh, usually the day before. So I don't see any texts you might send into the station. So email or Facebook is the best way to contact me. Looks like we're out of time this week, folks. Yowie Central will be back next week. Same time, same place. On 94.9 Main FM. I'll catch you next week. Stay safe. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. Your spine. Hear and cry, hear and howl. Looking for someone to.